Welcome everyone to the secret to post-pandemic digital marketing, focusing on the customer, not the channel. We have this very special Omnitalk special event where we go deep into the key retail trends with the people, the companies, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. I'm your host, Anne Mazinga. And as we all know, there have been a ton of shifts happening as a result of this pandemic this ongoing pandemic. Customers have changed their shopping behaviors. They're discovering products differently, engaging with retailers in new places, on new channels, and in new ways that are requiring brands and retailers to evolve their thinking around talking to their customers. So lucky for all of us, we brought in an expert. Today we have Lisa Collings, the Senior Vice President of Client Development for Epsilon Digital Media, who will be joining us today to talk about how retailers and brands can get better at putting their focus on this changing customer. Lisa, I could not be happier to have you on the show. I, I know we've been hearing from our, our marketing friends um, that this has been quite the year. They're just kind of getting their heads above water. And now, um, now you know, things are changing even faster. Tell us a little bit um, about what the last few months has been like for you. Are you are you hanging on? I know that you're you're a strong woman in the industry. Um, tell us how things have been going. Um, professionally, definitely hanging on with two teenagers and all being home during this period. I, I think that's been my biggest challenge um, and and Wi-Fi speed. But um, <laughs> all joking aside, um, I, I think it's 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 really been difficult, but I think it's been invigorating. And I think it's been um, really kind of reflective. And I and I know that with the pandemic, people don't always use these positive terms. I'm kind of a gratitude-based person. And I try to always help my clients look at what the possibilities are. Um, because really, you know, retail has been transforming since the day of time. I mean, you know, you used to decide where you're going to put your corner store and hope that people pass by. And now everybody thinks everything's measurable. Um, and that was the start. And that's where we are. So I just think transformation is inevitable. Well, I am excited to talk to you about this today. A reminder to those of you who are listening live that Lisa and I will be taking your questions in the chat as we go through this conversation. So if you have questions for Lisa, something you want to bring up, something you want to ask the Epsilon team, you have examples that you want to throw in, we would love to hear from them. So go ahead and put those in the chat. Um, Lisa, let's we've got some big topics to discuss today, but before we get there, I want the audience to know a little bit about you because you're one of the most exciting, engaging people I've talked to in a long time. Um, and I know that your background, you were gently encouraged, as you mentioned, by your dad to seek out a career in CPG and brand. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this industry. Sure. So I'm a, a proud daughter of uh, an art and science combination. My dad was in sales um, and my mom was in medicine. She wanted to go to medical school, but um, got a little bit of a late start because of her kids and went on to get her nursing degree and her master's of public health. So I'm, I'm truly a, a, a child of art and science. And um, I went to school and got a degree in marketing after um, I started in journalism um, and I always take that art of storytelling with me because I think it served me well from um, the brief time I had as a journalism major into what I do now um, in marketing and, 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 and working with clients on how to tell their stories. 
And my dad encouraged me to take this job with P&G. And I said, God, I don't really want to drive a station wagon and pick up damage. And he said, this is going to be the MBA of your life. So I really grew up in the grocery store and I was with P&G four years in their kind of management training program. And it was wonderful. And they give you a manual and they even, you know, tell you how to, you know, go to the restroom in Cincinnati headquarters. So you had a map. Um, but I took a lot of those uh, those stories away. And, I, and for a while, I carried this binder with me. I'm dating myself because they, they taught you so many things, how to how to read someone, how to you know interact with people, how to make a critical decision, how to write a business case. So that was foundational for me. And then I moved into the agency world, um, which I'm back three times a charm with Publicis. <laughs> and I worked at uh, uh, DDB under um, Omnicom. I worked at Ogilvy under WPP, and then I'm back at Publicis. Epsilon was acquired by them two years ago. Um, but when I left advertising, I felt I had a wonderful foundation of branding and I worked in CPG a long time, General Mills, Unilever. I also got experience in QSR, which I thought was great because QSR moves much like retailer, the speed of retailers. And I even worked a little bit in finance. So I took that branding view of the world, which I think so many of my clients appreciate because I didn't grow up where everything was digital, everything was measurable. And I, I brought that art and that strategy and then I moved into consulting and um, the digital world. And I've been at um, Epsilon Digital Media now 10 years. And I think that that kind of um, background has served me well as we start to get into the kind of, call it intersection of everything we're dealing with um, in omni-channel, in you know, the customer driving the conversation and in all these tools that we have to have this communication. So I, I think it was serendipitous that I took this kind of windy road. Well, I love that story. And we've had so much crossover. I've been in Omnicom. I've been at Publicis. I feel like they, they just, you know, you just kind of move from all the all the companies one to another, uh, but gaining a ton of experience that I think you're right, helps you as you're figuring out how, how these brands can be telling their stories throughout these constantly changing mediums. And I love in, you know, throughout the conversation to really get in a sense of too, how Epsilon is partnering with sure. uh, these brands too. But let's talk first, you know, we just heard in the news uh, this week that Instagram is going to start piloting ads now in their Instagram shops. Just one example of the multitude of channels that are coming towards marketing teams and brand teams right now um, at retailers. What are some of the things that you've been hearing of from your marketing teams that you've worked with? Because I think it might help our listeners like feel like they're not alone. Like some sure. of the challenges that they are facing now day in and day out. Um, what What's kind of coming to the fore for you? Well, first of all, I tell all my clients, you're on your journey and never be swayed by the fact that you think you should be somewhere faster than someone else because they're on their journey. And by the way, everybody, when we ask them to kind of degrade themselves on four or five key things, which I'll talk about in the interview of some things that are really fundamental to, I think, the transformation of, of retail, um, everybody kind of is hard on themselves and they're all behind. And I tell themselves they're all behind. <laughs> um, so um, don't feel bad. So that's the first thing I say. Um, and everybody goes, whoosh. Um, and second thing I say is don't get, um, don't get um, kind of swayed by the shiny objects. You have a brand, you have a KPI that you're driving towards at the enterprise level, and you have things that you are accountable to as a CMO, a CIO, a CTO, a 
SVP of merchandising. I deal with a lot of different folks. And there's a collision between marketing and tech like nobody's business. And I just say, be true to the brand, be true to what you're going to be graded on and be true to the things that are going to move the business. So when the Instagram example comes out and I say, what is that really about? And let's dissect if that works in your plan. And if you think that the that person is only findable on Instagram, you're wrong. And if you think that they live their life 24-7 on Instagram, you're wrong. And, and obviously, I have a 15-year-old son, so he's on TikTok a lot. Really, what you want to do is you want to make sure you have a strategy that's people-based so you can be where people are as they consume. And they're going to be on Instagram. And you know, you're going to want to be in that channel, but they're going to be other places, but you want to be centric to them. And in a perfect world, if you could create a personalized communicate communications plan at the ID level, that would be Nirvana. So try to think of your true north of where you're going to, which is people-based communication, not should I be on Instagram or not? I don't think it's a binary decision. I love that, Lisa, because I do think that there's this pressure, you know, in the the industry to be staying on top of all these things and to be, you know, exploring them or, or trying to figure out like how they fit into your larger media strategy. But, uh, you know, it just it makes so much sense to be just, you know, keeping the focus on your customer, like you said, your individual client, where they're shopping, what their other habits and behaviors are outside of that one particular channel. Cause you're right. It's not all going to happen in that one space, even if that's the developing or hot space. Right. When we first met, you had this brilliant list and you just mentioned it of kind of questions that marketing teams could kind of start to ask themselves and ask the partners that they're looking to, because that's, you know, on top of the channels that are out there, there are so many partners that are out there in this this ecosystem who can help support marketing efforts. Can you take us through a little bit of how you suggest that these teams kind of apply this rubric? Yeah. And and what I will say is more and more, I'll just give a little background about who I'm working with and who I'm giving this advice to and who's in the, yes. so, you know, I, I work in retail, but I've got everything from like auto and, you know, DIY auto companies and, and companies that change your oil to uh, big beauty brands to some luxury brands, to, um, you know, jewelry, which is back, you know, engagements and, and weddings were, were dead for so long. So, so I can get excited about, you know, oil changes as much as I can get excited about. <laughs> and I think everybody has kind of this common theme. If you read any 10 Ks or you sit in a room with a CIO, a CMO, merchandising, you know, whoever, it's like, we want to acquire more of the customers that are like our best customers and we want to keep our best customers. And it's like, that's almost fundamental to every sub-vertical and vertical. And so what I say is, where are you in that journey? And here's some of the questions that you can ask yourself and your colleagues, because more and more there's this intersection and interdisciplinary approach to solving problems. You, no longer is the CMO driving it. You've got to have your technology partners in the room. It takes a village and more and more companies that are successful, that are accelerating, are getting out of their silos. They're facing omni-channel, not talking about it. So I would say to any of these executives sitting across from me, you know, first you have to fundamentally think about your infrastructure. And I didn't really get into marketing to kind of get into the, the tech piece of it, but, but more and more, it's just it's table stakes. You can't. So do you have the right infrastructure that just allows you to know, particularly with your first party data? Now, there's some clients that, you know, again, have less first party data and more. But do you have a handle on that? And is that in a place where you can kind of get your hands on it? 
and everybody can leverage it in addressable channels and non-addressable channels. And some people, and I'll use some terms here that might ring a bell for people and stuff. I need a data lake. I need a CDP. I need a data mark. What you need is something that's going to work for your organization that centralizes your data so you can be people-based. That's going to be table stakes. So how are you asking the questions of your organization of where am I in that area? I have clients where they have a loyalty database, they've got an online database, you know, and they're working on it. I've got some who've created an awesome data lake that's really, really um, able to be nimble and, and drawn upon by many groups. So one thing is, how are you dealing with your first party data and how are you going to activate any other data you can bring into the organization at the people level? That's first. Second, activation is key. Because I always say, if you can talk to a bunch of people, but you don't know anything about them, you're going to kind of be irrelevant. You can know a ton about people, but you can't reach them at scale. How are you going to be effective? Because I have many CMOs that say to me, Talk to me about things that are going to be $100 million ideas. I want to test and learn. I want to do that Instagram thing. I want to do that, 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 that little, you know, lapsed user thing, if it's little. But I need things that are going to be big and volume. Right. So how are you going to activate that in your paid and known channels? And do you have the, the tools to do that and the partners to do it? And then find how are you going to track your progress? I always say to clients, at the end of the year, if you do something with me or someone else and you're sitting across from your board of directors or your boss or your shareholders, how would you say after I expended that energy, I made that capital investment, I I put this resources in place that I was successful and I had a KPI and a report card that the whole enterprise embraced and would score themselves on. So know what you're trying to accomplish and then put the closed loop reporting and the metrics in that will allow you to know. Because I know a lot of people, they'll deploy technology, they'll do stuff. At the end, they really don't know what they got from it. And it's very frustrating. Well, and I have to imagine too, Lisa, when you bring up, you know, this marketing once being the res- the core responsibility of the CMO, but now it's bringing in other tech partners. I would imagine that you also have to have metrics that serve each of those silos that or that you're agreeing upon. Is that is that the case? And have you been able to kind of help coordinate that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have an early adopter client and um, my client was a, a gal in beauty and she was my client as, at the director level at one company and then she became a VP and now she's the chief digital officer. And then just her span of knowing her, her job has changed so many times. And, you know, some of it has been something that she had historical perspective on and some of it she she grew into the job just like all of us. And so um, this company is very omni-channel focused and they have decided when we're going to make a decision about marketing, about infrastructure, we are going to get in the room as four leaders, the CIO, the CMO, the chief digital officer, and the CTO. And we are going to say, the end of the day, how are we going to judge ourselves? And it's not these individual KPIs. It's what's going to drive the enterprise for channel sales because this client doesn't care where you buy it. And, and nor, nor, should, nor should a lot of things. If you want to buy online, pick up in store. If you want to buy, um, you know, where you're, you know, e-commerce. If you want to um, go to the store and have a sensory experience, the consumer doesn't say, oh, I'm buying online, picking up in store. And that digital <laughs> performance ad and, oh, this TV commercial is branding. They go, I want to have a frictionless experience. 
I want to have personalization. I want to get things when I want it, how I want it. And I want to have brands where I can have, um, you know, a value-based experience based on the KPIs that I've created for the brand. I love that, Lisa. I laugh out loud, not (laughs) only because I've been sitting in so many of those rooms where we use these industry terms. And yeah, the customer is just like, I just want, when I open my (laughs) trunk, I want the right groceries to be in there and I don't want to have to come back. And all of the language that we put around that. Well, I, I always have to ask, you kind of went into one earlier, but I have to ask if there's a particular case study or example that you've seen uh, with some of the brands that Epsilon's worked with that have had success with this. I know um, you have a future of retail guide that's going to be coming out. And for everybody listening, we'll be putting that future of retail guide on our OmniTalk blog um, at omnitalk.blog so that you can um, really dig into some of the content that Lisa and I are talking about today. But in in that guide, you mentioned your work with L'Occitan. And I'd love to hear some examples of you talked about activating the data, Lisa. How are are the teams at Loxytown activating that data? They've really done a nice job just saying, okay, what are my strengths and what can I leverage? And I would say everybody who's listening to this podcast, your first party data is gold. That is something you know about your customers that if you can leverage both in your own channels and paid channels, you know, digital media is what I'll talk about, that's gold. So if you can start with that, you can immediately put people in buckets. I talked about acquisition or um, retention, right? If someone comes to your website and you're not activating your first party data when that person comes and most people don't log in and they log in on different devices, different cookies, you really don't know who they are you know, maybe 20% of the time if you're great. So if they come to the website, you immediately want to know, are they a buyer? Are they a lapse buyer? Are they, um, have they browsed the website before, but um, they've never bought online, but they always buy in store? Are they a prospect? So immediately identification is huge. And I think Loxiton really realized that that could be a huge differentiator for them. Because even when it comes to something they'd see on the website, whether it's site personalization or the cadence of which they would manage their digital media, it's going to be very different. You're going to invest more dollars, which the CFO cares about, the person running this campaign, if someone's a retained customer, because the decay curve for them is going to be longer. The likelihood that if you put some content in front of them over time, that will pay out. A prospect, while extremely valuable, is not eventually going to convert over time if you don't, you know, if you spend time on them, but they're not showing any signals that, hey, I'm interested. So with Loxiton, they were very interested in understanding when people came to the website, you know, buyer status, new status, and activating lapsed. And so this case study is about the idea of first identifying people in the wild or when they come to the website, knowing what status they were with the brand, and really creating a personalized journey that eventually over the time period that we wanted to measure it would show that investing in lapsed people with the right content at the right time would drive more um, more purchases. So, uh, you know, the stats I don't have off the top of my head, and that'll get you to look at the guide, but they increased their um, incremental return on ad spend, and they increased their ability to reach lapsed. And they were really able to quantify this investment. And their thought was, you know, this was a, a valuable thing to do both from a brand experience perspective, so that art, mm. but from a quantitative perspective, which is that science. Well, and Lisa, how I know privacy comes into play here too. You're talking about, you know, knowing the customer the second that they're hitting your website. 
how are you helping people think about that component of this too? Because you want to get that rich, rich data, um, but then you also have, you know, changing regulations um, sure. and, and, you know, cookie changing, you know, they're right. changing policies around cookies. Right. Tell us, tell us kind of how you're, you're suggesting that your clients approach that challenge. Well, first of all, you have to be working with a, a, a partner that is respectful of privacy and privacy compliant. And, you know, I've been in this industry a long time. And, and what I will say, just a plug for Epsilon, we started in the offline world um, before the digital media practice was integrated, you know, you know, um, several years ago. And that PII is protected. And when I say PII, your name, your address, your email, all that good stuff, that is protected. And it should continue to be protected. And any partner you deal with, you should ask them the questions, how are you anonymizing data? How are you matching it? And how are you being privacy compliant? Are you being audited? You're, you're going to be no good to anybody if you're not you know, playing by the rules that are set off by, you know, set up by the industry and now increasing, increasingly by you know, the government, you know, California and Europe in the lead. So you want to, you want to do this, but you don't, you don't want to be creepy. So when, when you're, you're, you're onboarding that data, right. Anonymized in in the, in the non-PII world. So I'm Lisa Collings, but I'm really one, two, three, four, five, you know, hydrangea, like hydrangea Mm -hmm. um, in the, in the wild. And what you want to do is be able to know enough about me at that right time, um, and, and doing that in a way, though, that I'm getting the relevant content at the right cadence, but it's not spooky and being compliant. And the fact that Google is now saying, well, you know, third party cookies are an intrusion, you're going to need to opt in is, is going to be a game changer. And while they've postponed their announcement, I still think that you need to be thinking about this now because Apple has already made the move. And everybody has an Apple device. I'm trying to find mine. I was going to wave it, but everybody has an Apple device or a good chunk of the world does. And right now, if you can't reach people in that privacy compliant way, in Apple's eco- ecosystem, which is a first party cookie. So, you know, you, you have a first party cookie. You're not going to be able to message people on an Apple. In our world, when I look at my clients, you know, interactions, you know, anywhere between like a low client interaction um, where we message people and where we see them going on their app or on their website is like 30 to 40%. That's low. Most of the clients, like 70% of the persons that are interacting with them are at some point interacting on an Apple device or through the app or whatever. So I would say to kind of close this out, because I always like to give people kind of bullet points or to do's. Yes. Be aware of how your partners are dealing with the current regulations and ask a lot of great questions. Ask them some questions. Are they ready for third-party deprecation? What are you doing to create that first-party linkage? How are you going to still be able to find someone in the wild and serve them media your publisher relationships? And how are you really being active in this dialogue, which is pro-consumer, but pro-personalization? Because I don't think consumers are going to opt out And I think this next generation want personalization. They want it just respectfully. So I I don't think this is going away. You just need the right partners to enable it. Uh, Oh, I could not agree more. I I think that, you know, people, more people will be accepting this than, than won't when we look at this next generation of consumer. For sure. Um, You mentioned Lisa, you know, working with your, your publishing companies, we're seeing, so many more retailers leveraging retail media networks. 
Can you explain for some of the listeners today who might not be familiar with what those are and just the role that retailers and brands play as it compares to maybe those traditional relationships, um, traditional media buys, that kind of thing? Sure. So, I mean, again, I grew up in the grocery store and that was where the really retail media network started. A lot of people will refer to it as RMN. You know, it it started kind of as shopper marketing, right? Okay. I'm Procter & Gamble. That's where I worked. And I want to display at the grocery store. I want to, you know, own the, the circular, you know, these old words. And they would give the retailer money to basically own something that was, you know, of value to them as it relates to the customer, the front of the store, or um, the circular, which was media. So fast forward a lot of years, I'm not going to tell you how much, and Retail Media Network is really taking that same concept, which as a retailer, I have assets and they're valuable assets. I have my first party data. You know, I'll get out of the digital digital world for a second. I have my store experience. I've got my channels, which is, you know, email and direct mail. And I've got, you know, programmatic channels. I've got on-site, which is my own channels. And all I'm wanting to do is say, hey, for the clients that I, you know, sell in my store and my digital store, you know, right, whether it's beauty products at Ulta, cold medicine at Walgreens or, you know, oil at AutoZone, I now want to give them a way to leverage my data and my assets to have a better, more relevant conversation with my customers because my customers are a valuable asset. In fact, I say to my clients, you know, that are in beauty and fashion, I say, you, you have a more valuable asset than Vogue.com. Well, you go, oh, their CPMs are this. And I go, but they have no transaction data. They can't tell you when this person last purchased. They can't tell you what they purchased and they can't tell you if they're in market. So they might be aspirational and they might be into fashion and they might want to buy your stuff or they might not. Um, um, your own data can show that to all the people, the people, the, the, the brands that are selling in your store Not to mention all the non-endemic brands, that's the brands that might still want exposure to your assets because there's a relationship there, even if they're not sold, you know, as part of your um, offering. So think about this, you know, again, if you're a travel client or you're selling cars and you're a luxury brand, I mean, that's very appealing to some, what I'll call non-endemic audiences. So, and again, a nutshell, if I were to break it down, it's leveraging your assets your first party data, your own channels, your, your, your paid channels in a way that helps either people sold or, you know, again, brand sold where you're, you're, you're having a relationship with the customer as a retailer or even non-endemic. And I think um, more and more people see this as a monetization strategy. It's an experience strategy and it's a differentiator. And you don't have to be huge like Wal, you know, Walmart or Target or or Amazon to do this. I have a lot of clients that are doing this very well and they're starting with the with the brands that are sold in their stores and really having quite um, great success. Well, Lisa, I well first I love that that quote about the audience being of the store being more valuable than vogue.com but because i think it's so true and it really gets to the heart of you know what this whole conversation today is really about it's about that customer and the 360 degree view of that customer what other things that they're buying what are those affinity items that they're they're picking up too and and affinity experiences too or other places that they are and and this is really that perfect collection that's mutually beneficial yes 
to the retailers, to the brands and to the customers. Like if you're, you're, you know, if I'm going to give you the opportunity to follow me, to personalize things for me, I want you to do a good job of it. And I want you to be able to serve me up products that are convenient. And I think that, that this is just, it's, it was really great to kind of close on that note. Cause I feel like that is so impactful uh, for the people that are, are listening to this today. Yeah, you made a good point about the customer. I kind of left them out of the trifecta a little bit, but you're right, because if you're able to understand not only where that customer is as far as the channels that they might want, you can give them the right channels, their own media plan, and maybe you don't send them so much email or direct mail versus exactly because they're always in the app. So they're the brands that you're partnering with are going to get better channel mix. And the, that brand is going to know that that customer based on data, whether it's their current affinity, their current, you know, uh, breadcrumbs on the internet or their past affinity wants this because they've shown some signs of wanting it or the data suggests they might want it. And, you know, data is foundational to everything. If you kind of don't have that data later. And I told, I said that before, it's like, if you, know a lot of people, but know nothing about them. You're kind of, you got one, but you don't have the other one. And if you have the scale and you can reach them, it's one plus one equals three. So the customer is a huge piece of that. Well, and they're going to keep changing, you know, like just because they're doing things in app mostly this time, but you know, as they age or as their lifestyles change or locations change, you're going to have to adapt as the retailer to those changes and where they are. And still, you know, as you're, as you said, laying this foundation and getting that data layer set up, you have that to build upon going forward as you continue that relationship with, uh, with the customer. Yeah. Well, a little antidote, you know, I'm in technology and my kids say I'm the least technological person they know, but um, my son is starting a new school as a sophomore. We're transferring him and I do most everything on online, you know, when I'm trying to just get stuff, but he has to wear a uniform this year, like, you know, white shirt, you know, blazer, you know, and I'm usually like, so I know the internet thinks and my clients think, or the people following me think like, oh, she's an online gal and whatever. But I kind of lost track. I was on vacation. I'm like, oh my gosh, Pierce starts his orientation today. So I'm running around like the last three days looking for express shipping and going into stores. And all those breadcrumbs suggest there are moments where you will be very open to messaging where your patterns do change. And I think Absolutely. a perfect example of that. So I think if you don't have that 360 purview, we don't know what that next interruption can be to shopping patterns. And it could be something ubiquitous like COVID, or it could be the fact that Lisa went on a vacation and now is scrambling and has five days to get her act together. Right. And where and how you're going to purchase that merchandise becomes the priority over, you know, selection or what right. all the other things that you would usually care about in a leisurely shopping journey. Right. Oh, I'm like, I'm okay, like, are you open tonight? And do you have <laughs> size 11 shoes? <laughs> Lisa, I have absolutely loved this conversation. It's been so informative. As as we wrap up, I just I wonder if there's anything else that comes to mind, other advice you might have for you know the marketing or brand retail teams that are listening to this, um, things they should be paying attention to that maybe they aren't. You know, I have a little phrase that I call search and reapply. And I was leaving CPG and going to work in QuickServe and on McDonald's. And I was being interviewed by the, the client and the, the guy running the business. And they said, well, gosh, like you've never worked in QSR before. And I said, yeah, and you should be happy that I haven't. And they kind of pulled and I said, well, you guys at the speed of retail don't really have a lot of discipline. And when you launch new products, you don't think of cannibalization and you're not writing business cases. And I said, so this, there's this idea of search and reapply. And I love that because 
I think while there's always new ideas, I think you can take something out of anything that's current and try to apply it to your business where you are. And so I think where people get sidetracked in this tsunami of, tsunami of information and these shiny objects is they don't think like, how does that apply to my current problem? And if I twisted it 180, how it would look different. So again, I think fundamentals are super important and I know they're boring, but get your blocking and tackling right. And that's your infrastructure, your IDs, your data. Then think about your activation layer. And when you're hearing about all this stuff, I should be in this channel. Oh my gosh, digital audio is the next best thing. It might be, it might not be, but try to figure out how those things apply to your marketing mix or what you're doing. Digital audio might be the next best thing because it's attracting a younger audience or it's a different channel or it's allowing you to have um, sound and sound is really important to your brand experience. So I always say if you can take that searching and then applying it with um, kind of some filters and say this makes sense. And then I always have with my clients a test and learn strategy because I feel like you always have to kind of figure out and stay true to your true north. It's really easy to get sidetracked, but that doesn't mean you should mortgage your future by not having an incubator. And so I think it's always important to be incubating things and testing things to make sure you know where that next $100 million idea is. So I would leave you with, make sure you have the blocking and tackling down, make sure that you're searching and reapplying, but you're always applying it based on your vision and your KPIs and being focused. And then always have a test lab and this testing agenda and ask your partners, how can you help me learn and grow while still driving enterprise level value? And those are kind of two different skill sets. It's an adaptability versus this kind of strategic drumbeat. And you need to almost be right brain and left brain. And you have to have that now. That is non-negotiable anymore. You have to be able to pivot. If we've learned anything over the last year plus, uh, it's it's being flexible is really uh, the critical key to survival here. Well, Lisa, that was amazing. Thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about how Epsilon can help with some of the things that you've outlined so well today, where is the best place for them to go? So um, obviously you can go to my LinkedIn. I just said I'm not the most technical person. So, but I'm going to be checking my LinkedIn much more regularly over the next, you know, weeks and, and seeing if anybody wants to start a conversation with me. I've always wanted to be a news broadcaster or journalism. So maybe this will be my start. Um, and then I'm just going to give out my email because I'm passionate about um, um, the space. I'm passionate about my client's business and I'm always looking to learn. And I think the biggest thing you get out of doing these things is people say, oh, you know, you're doing the talking and you're giving your knowledge. But in order to prepare, you're learning. You're starting to think like, is this meaningful for someone else? When you have to articulate it, you're learning. And then when people ask you questions, you learn and they might give me a different perspective. And I thought, wow, I never thought about doing that. So I would love to start dialogue with anybody that is willing to. And so I'm L I'm Lisa, L-I-S-A dot Collings, C-O-L-L-I-N-G-S at Epsilon.com. And, you know, just don't forget the G and you'll find me. That is amazing. Thank you for being that open. I know I can speak on behalf of 
the people listening that that really helps to be able to have a direct line and you've you've given us so much great information today i will remind everyone too that we also will have a copy of the epsilon future of retail guide on our website soon um, at omnitalk.blog we'll be sending that out in email so if you aren't subscribed to omnitalk emails you can do that at omnitalk.blog subscribe and we will make sure that you get that delivered directly to your inbox um, we thank you so much for joining us for another Omnitalk special event today. And as always, be careful out there. <laughs>